Praise the Lord. Welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. I'm Pastor Curtis Hutchinson. Glad to be here in the studio today broadcasting live to you and whoever you might be and wherever you might be and whatever time it might be. Uh, we're just so thankful uh, to know the Lord and to know that the Lord knows us, that we won't ever have to hear that uh, great and awful, terrible statement that I never knew you by the Lord. Uh, I tell you what, it's a, it's a it's a good it's a great thing today to be saved, bought with the blood of Jesus. To know not only that I'm going to heaven when I die, but today on this day I can live in victory. Not almost every day. The Bible says in Luke one seventy four and seventy five because he's defeated the enemy that we can now every day of our lives serve our God in righteousness and holiness without fear. Think about that, a powerful statement. There should not be one day, yeah, one day, no, it should be every day serving God in righteousness and holiness without fear. And I'm not here to teach on that this morning, but man, I would love to because we're living in a time right now with the noisome pestilences going forth uh, bringing fear into the hearts of multiplied millions, if not uh, uh, billions. Uh, people dying on an escalated scale like never before from a virus. And Well, I wouldn't say never before yet, but the numbers are, are piling up. And uh, fear is on every corner trying to get in the hearts of God's people. And uh, the only way that fear is cast out of us is through that perfect love. And 1 John chapter 2 says that that love is perfected when we're keeping the Word of God. Think about that. Not, not just because we declare this or declare that, but that perfect love was manifest at Calvary. And when our faith is in Jesus and what He did at Calvary is the living Word, the Lamb of God, I'm telling you folks, we can now... And only at that point, when our faith is there, be led by the Holy Spirit into all truth. That means an obedience to truth. Well, listen, the Holy Spirit can't lead you into anything unless you're willing to be obedient. You can't separate obedience from that which the Holy Spirit leads you in. He leads us into truth through our subjected will to Him, through our trust in Him, His Word, His truth. And that is the place that love, the love of the Father, 1 John chapter 2, is perfected. And in that process, not me declaring something, in that process is fear cast out. You better learn the process, folks, because if you don't know it, fear brings torment, and torment destroys God's people. That's right. God said way back through the prophet Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6, my people, not the world. This is the story of the world. But God says my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. And that word lack there means that it wasn't knowledge they didn't have. It was knowledge they had and rejected. And we have Bibles. We have Bibles probably in every room of our homes. Most Americans have multiple Bibles, but are we 
in the Bible? Are we trembling at God's Word? Are we beginning to see God's Word is not something just good that we read that makes me feel good, but God's Word is God's commands to His people. And, and, and the commandments of the Lord, the Bible says, are not grievous. They're not burdensome. When we find the love of the Father being perfected through our subjected will to His, through our faith simply in Christ and His work at Calvary, then we're going to find ourselves learning to appreciate God's Word to us as commands. And we need to know that. They're not optional, they're commands, and we need to begin to see that. For it's only those that love the Lord who are going to be found obeying the Lord. And that's all through faith in the cross, my friend, for there's no obedience in God's eyes outside of that avenue. And I'm thankful today to know that and not to be playing church and being led by other people and led by my feelings and emotions, but led by the Spirit of God. And you know it's the Spirit of God leading you when you're being led in truth. His name is Jesus, and what he did at Calvary is what makes him the Word of God applicable to our hearts, and that is being led in the truth. Glory to God. Again, this is Friday morning, 9 a.m., cross time with Pastor Curtis, and we're glad to be here. We're teaching presently on Friday mornings, 1 Timothy, and we're in chapter 3. If you'd like to get your Bibles, this is session 2 of this uh, uh, chapter 3. And uh, we're going to get into this in a moment, but before we do, I just want to let you know that we're praying for you, all of you, all of our social media friends and brothers and sisters and everybody that's on our social media. Uh, we're praying for you, and we're just believing God with you, hopefully with you, that you're praying for us as well, and that God would stay, he would stop this plague, that he would uh, rebuke the spirit of infirmity. Now, don't get me wrong, God's doing great and mighty things in the midst of all that's going on. God is reorganizing. God is restructuring. God is calling. God is equipping. God is changing. God is uprooting folks and replanting folks where he wants them planted. God is doing many wonderful things. Many are finding, I hope many are finding repentance in this season of their lives and uh, we need to understand that in, even in this midst, the midst of what's going on, God is busy, hallelujah, giving grace to the humble and continuing to resist those that resist his one and only avenue of the cross for their object of faith. And I uh, want to encourage you to pray for us. As uh, it's it's uh, the cross preaching the message of the cross is it can at times seem lonely uh, and at times when you're being rejected and and uh, criticized and and people talking about you you just have to keep looking unto Jesus who authored and finished that faith that you have and you just keep running this race and that's the best thing you can do. For those who are lost, it's the best thing you can do. For those who don't really understand the message of the cross for daily living, we don't throw them away. We just keep running this race. And eventually, hopefully, many will repent as we have and get back in the race because most of the church today is standing in one place, moving their arms and feet like they're going somewhere, like they're running a race, but they're not running the race because they've moved away from faith in the cross alone. 
That's the only place the race can be ran. Hallelujah. So uh, don't forget to pray for us, as I said, and don't forget to keep sowing to the ministry during this short season where the doors are uh, closed to most gatherings uh, that have uh, a number of people that go there. Uh, just for the sake of others, for the sake of cooperating and keeping this virus from spreading in our communities. And uh, so don't forget to sow, to give unto the Lord and the work of his hands. And you can do that by texting uh, to Crossway Church. The number is 903-231-5950. Many, many people are blessed and learning through the ministry of Crossway Church. Now, I know a lot of people don't ever want us to know they're watching because they uh, have these all these kind of thoughts, and that's okay. We're not going to get into people's lives. We're just going to do what we're called to do. But if God is teaching you, blessing you, encouraging you, and guiding you into what truth really is, and you're learning, learning from this ministry and being fed from this ministry, then I encourage you to sow to this ministry because when you sow into a ministry that is determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, their focus is the gospel. You are going to reap great benefits from that. God is going to pour out upon you. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, before we knew this message for sanctified living, uh, we had lost our house, our land, our vehicles. And let me be assured this morning to remind you that God showed up in my life with this gospel, the same one he saved me by when I was 11, and he showed up again with this gospel and began to reveal to me that this gospel is the only avenue through which he saves, delivers, heals, and brings all grace. And it's the only thing he wants ministered throughout the entirety of the Bible. And when I began to just grab a little bit of that and begin to minister this, settled it in my heart, even though I, I didn't know what I know today and I still don't know a lot. But even in that day, in 2005, I said, Lord, I understand the answer for everything among men is the cross. And I'm going to tell you, God gave me my land back. God built us a new home on that land that we'd lost. And while we were not even, we didn't even have a home, we were living with my mother-in-law. God, while we were in the cave of Adullam, if you know the story of David and his mighty men in the cave of Adullam, while it seemed nothing could be right, nothing could go right, God established a brand new work preaching the gospel. And God began to pour out on me, gave me my job back that I'd had for years and, and lost due to false uh, uh, discernment and di wrong direction. And I mean, God began to restore and, and, and multiply his blessings upon me simply because he was able to get me back to the gospel, the focus of the gospel. And ever since then, God has poured out upon me, grown me in the knowledge of his son and the grace of his son. And to this day, he continues to pour out in me and upon me and through me, blessing my family, blessing the church family, and blessing all those who partake of this ministry. When you sow to this ministry, God is going to see that and God is going to bless that. 
And I would encourage you, find somebody somewhere who's not preaching anything but the righteousness of God's Word. There are ministries all over the place who are all mixed up. There's a mixture. That's confusion. That brings confusion. But this house, we preach Christ and Him crucified. We teach Christ and Him crucified. We do not move outside of that arena because God does not work outside of that arena. He's proved it to me, and he'll prove it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll start in verse 6 today. Paul here is giving the instructions, the commands for pastoral leadership, and we'll move into uh, the requirements, let me say it a better way, the commands for those to be able to uh, they're really pre, uh, pre, what they call them, prerequisites. They're requirements for you to be, I to be, in ministry, in the pastoral leadership, the overseer, whatever position that is, of a local church. And then later, he will get even to the deacons, which is almost the exact same thing as far as requirements. And, and these things have not done away, been done away with by God. These things were given to the Apostle Paul to give to us. And if we can, let's go down to the bottom, the end of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And, and I think we did this last time. It's important we do this because we need to not just read the Bible. We need to know why what was written was written. Uh, because the context of it is very important. If we don't know the context of Scripture, uh, we will just make it some pretext. We'll give it some pretext. Of, uh, and that's different from a context. We, we won't really know what's going on. But we need to understand the context of, of all the Scripture we're reading and why it was written, to whom it was written. And, and, and if we do, then we will experience the benefits of what was written. You can never say that because this was written from Paul to Timothy in the church in Ephesus, that it was back then to them, and it's not really for us today, no. Never leave the thought process that God gave the Lord Jesus Christ called Paul to be an apostle. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He sent to us Gentiles. And he spoke on behalf of Christ. He wrote on behalf of Christ. You never need to forget that. There's a place in 20 minutes down the road, I heard that there's a preacher who ripped out part of Romans, if not all of Romans, said that Paul didn't really have and understand what we have and understand today. If you do that, my friend, you have missed the boat because what Paul wrote was just as authoritative as what the prophets spoke and wrote. Just the same authority in the Old Covenant, God used prophets to do his bidding, his hearing from him and speaking and having those things written. In the New Covenant, it's apostles that stand in that status of having walked with the Lord, heard from the Lord, and now have the authority to write what they had seen and heard. And you need to understand that. So you can't ever take what Paul wrote back then to them and say it doesn't apply to us today, for surely it does. And people who begin to make those excuses are people who really are just looking for reasons according to their carnality, their flesh, to be appeased, to get out of the commands 
given from God through Paul to you and to me. Never forget it. God's word, they're not just words to make us feel good in time of pain. God's words are commands. And if we walk in those commandments, then we won't have to uh, worry about living a life that's hard. The Bible says the way of the transgressor, that means the unfaithful. That ain't just lost folk. That's not just lost folk. The way of the unfaithful is a hard way. And if we're not living through a love for the Lord because of what He's done for us, who He is to us, in obedience to His Word, believe me, my friend, your life's got chaos in it. It's got confusion in it. It's, that way is hard. When folk know what God has said, but they justify they're not doing what God has said, first of all, Jesus said those people don't love Him. And that every time they justify not doing what God has said they are to do, it's really, even though they don't know it because it's so deceitfully deceptive, it's because there's a love for something in the world that is, 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 is removing the love of the Father. In, it's being replaced with the love of the world. Come on now. That's, that's the... That's the very picture of what's happening when we're not walking in obedience to the word through faith in the cross of Christ. That's right. And that's why fear will always dominate. Fear will always control. Fear will always bring torment and destroy God's people. So watch this in the very end of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, verse 14. He says, These things I write unto you, hoping to come unto you shortly. Because I can't come now, I'm writing to you. I, I long to come to you. Let me say something about that. The Apostle Paul had not only a love for God, but when you and I have a love for God, we have a love for God's people. We want to be with God's people. We won't make every excuse in the world not to fellowship with God's people. It's one of the things that comes with the new heart. The born again man, woman, child has a desire to be with God's people in the congregation to worship God's people. We're feeling that desire, I hope, greater now than ever before, but this virus, this spirit of infirmity, this noisome pestilence is sweeping the entirety almost of the earth, and, and, and in cooperation, many houses of worship have been shut down, and the people are beginning to realize, those who are not just carnal, but those who love the Lord and want to serve the Lord, <clears throat> according to His Word, they're realizing what they've had, and they're missing that congregational worship, that setting of praise and worship in the midst of the congregation. And I pray that when this thing has ended, that we don't just rush back in and then let fade out again and, 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 and not appreciate what we really have been given by the Lord. And Paul wants to go see the people here in Ephesus and Timothy and verse 15 he says, but if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Think about that. And I'll just stop right there. We'll get into that later as we dig these, 
these verses out a little more intensely later, but I wanted to move down here and show us this factual situation. I can't come right now, Paul says. I'm writing you this letter. The purpose I'm writing you this letter, not only do I miss you and love you, but I, but I need you to be equipped. I need you to know how to uh, carry yourself, behave in the house of God. I need you to know these things. Just because you're a Christian don't mean that you just know everything. No, we've been given God's Word and we've been given God's Spirit so the Spirit of God can lead us. Catch this now. The Spirit of God can lead us in the truth of God's Word. Not what we want to do with God's Word, but the truth of God's Word, which is the application of God's Word through obedience to faith in the cross. That's right. In God's eyes, we're not obedient even if we're doing what the Bible says to do and not doing what the Bible says to not do if it's not the Holy Spirit leading us, empowering us to do those things. And, and the only legal avenue he has to be able to do those things is our faith in the legal work Christ performed for us at Calvary. Now, many people will hear this, and right off the top of their head, they'll say, well, I already know all that. Then are you living victorious? Is sin dominating your life? Does fear move you in, into a place of disobedience to God's Word? Or does fear move you, a different kind of fear and reverence to God, move you into obedience to God's Word? And I need to talk about that just for a minute. Well, I've ministered on it recently because fear is running rampant today. And fear is real. Both fears are real. The fear that comes, uh, that moves you into disobedience, the Bible says that the fearful not even going to heaven. The fearful are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Think about it. The fearful. That's the fearful who allow fear to move them away from disobedience to the word of God. Now, there is a fear, the Bible says, that's healthy. Noah by faith, through fear, moved. Noah, by faith, moved with fear and built the ark. What was he doing? He was obeying the command of God. There is a proper fear, biblical fear, the fear of the Lord, which moves us into obedience because of our faith in the cross of Christ. And there's also a fear uh, that's the fear of man. Fear I'm not going to have what they have. Fear uh, that God won't be able to take care of me in this. And fear, 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 and brings terror. It brings torment. And it also moves us away from obeying God's word. We need to understand that. One avenue is the, is the, is the proof of our love to God through obedience. The other is the proof that we don't love God. When we're not trusting God and we have to trust some other avenue for salvation or any righteous fruit or any grace that come, we think comes from the Lord, if it's not faith in the cross, my friend, we're not walking in obedience to the Word even when we think we are. But Paul wrote this that's why we went down to the bottom of this chapter so that we, Gentiles, could know how to behave ourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the gathering of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, the pillar 
and ground of the truth. Praise God. Said I'm not going to get into that, so I'm not. So now let's back up to where we are today. And we're at verse 6 where he says, uh, these these men, these men who are uh, called, they think to be called to be uh, overseers, pastors, really any position of leadership in the church over people. Uh, but but especially pastors and deacons, they're, they're, they're not to be a novice. It's, we're not to put new converts into the position of leadership. Uh, the church does that today. A lot of churches do that today because they don't hardly have anybody in their church. And so you're just thrilled when somebody comes and, well, what could I do to keep them? Now, this is the thought that goes on. I'm not being ugly. I've been here before. What can I do? What can I give them to do to make them feel apart? What kind of position can I give them? Brand new converts just showed up at church or just got saved. And now what can I give them as a position to keep them here? No, the Bible says not a novice. Not a novice. So if we back up, uh, he's given the, 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 the requirements to be an overseer here. An overseer, someone in authority over a local assembly. And he says one of those is not a novice, not a new convert, lest being lifted up with pride he falls into the condemnation of the devil. The opportunity to fall into the condemnation of the devil is very likely very likely for the new convert because he hasn't been learning long enough nor has he had his faith tested very much. All Christians, all Christians upon being born again, it's what makes you a Christian, trust in Christ and what he did at Calvary because of your sin exclusively. Outside of that, nobody's born again. But upon being born again, we have such a zeal and a desire to serve God. If that's not there, we didn't get born again. Hear me this morning. If that's not there upon the born again experience, we didn't get born again. Because the born to be born again is just that. It is an experience. You may not cry. You may not laugh. But you know that you know that you know you've been changed you better understand that. I don't care what people say. I don't care how preachers today milk it down just to keep everything comfortable. The born-again experience is just that. It is an experience. Your desires changed. I didn't say we become perfect. I didn't say that we, that we don't have any longer any desires that are wrong. I didn't say that. But you do have new desires. You do have a new God-given desire to serve God, to be around God's people, and to find that avenue which God's called you. You better know that today. If you, if, listen, if you didn't have that life-changing change initially at the born-again experience, you weren't born again. And you need, I don't care, let me say it again, I don't care what preachers tell, try to tell you something so you'll keep giving or you'll keep coming. I'm telling you, when you get born again, there are brand new desires in your heart. You begin to see things in a different light. You begin to think in a different way. And you're called, we're all called, to grow in that. But immediately, because of that zeal without much wisdom, we step right into Romans chapter 7. 
where I, I end up and I just I come to a point and now I can't do what I know I should be doing and I can't stop doing what I know I shouldn't be doing. I'm, I, I got born again. Some things fell off of me. But now I seem to have gotten to this point where these, these things right here, they, they just won't go and I can't stop and I can't start. And That's the Romans 7 experience. That's when you have to go back and study and learn Romans chapter 6 to see actually what really happened at Calvary, what you really received at Calvary, and how what happened at Calvary in Christ really works for you today so that when you get now to Romans 7, you can know how to do those things you couldn't do and how to stop doing those things you couldn't stop doing. Instead of making excuses and and, 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 and saying things such as, well, nobody's perfect and, uh, you know, well, well nobody's perfect and, and, and you know, we're, all the excuses that we come up with <clears throat> because we've hit that we've hit that brick wall with our forehead we keep slamming into it and in a season there we're just disturbed over it but then everybody keeps giving us bad advice. Well, you know, the honeymoon's over with Jesus. Well, you know, that's just the way it is when you first get saved. You're on fire and, you know, give them time. You know, it was just inevitable. You were going to be like the rest of us. You lose that first fire. It's not God's will you lose that first fire. It's God's will you keep that first love. That's the first fire that burned in your heart was the first love. Hallelujah. It's God's will you stay there and that increase. Not that it goes away, but it does go away because we don't learn how to live for God through faith in the cross alone. I want you to think about that. The novice, the, the, the new convert is the, born, the freshly born again person who wants to serve God now and we can't put them in an office we can't put them in a position uh, that's authority over people anyway if they want to cut the grass good clean the church good uh, stand at the door and greet people good but these positions of overseers authority over people in the body of Christ to at these levels mentioned here a new convert is not to be put in these positions. And this is Bible, my friend. It doesn't matter what you need so desperately. Listen, we don't even... I don't care what we need here at Crossway Church. And we desperately need some things right now. But I won't go outside the realm, not just of not born again. I won't go outside the realm of those who don't desire to live in victory in Christ and are searching for that avenue of victory. I won't put somebody in a position, especially pay them for a position, just because they have a skill. That's not going to happen. We'll suffer without whatever it is uh, that we think we need until God sends the right person who loves him, wants to serve him, and, 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 and it's not a novice because it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen here because it, it, I got a Bible. Hallelujah. Can you say that? I got a Bible. Hallelujah. So, a new convert is very susceptible to falling into the same pride that got the devil kicked out of heaven. 
which was thinking of himself more highly than he ought. A new convert, we as freshly newborn again children, as I said earlier, our faith has not been tested very much. And we've not learned very much. And we can step into a big sinking ship of pride real easy and begin to think of ourselves uh, more highly, the Bible says in Romans 12, than we ought to until we learn how to be sober-minded and think according to that measure of faith we've been given. A new convert don't know to do that. He, he, he has to be taught that. He has to learn to experience some things, uh, apply himself to the truth of the Word of God. Uh, and, and it's just as simple as that. You just don't put new converts in positions. If you do, you probably, the whole congregation, is going to end up suffering. And there, there is, uh, in verse 7, uh, it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, look, two verses in a row, Paul has mentioned the devil. The devil has a snare. Every person, every child of God, because that's who this is talking about. Hear me. We're talking about new converts. We're talking about the children of God looking to serve in the body of Christ and the leaders looking for those that God is going to raise up to serve. There is a awareness there, but there we have a guideline here to go by. There is the condemnation of the devil. There is the snare of the devil. And we can, we, we can fall into the condemnation of the devil. You and I can fall into the trap of the devil and until if we when we do until we repent and acknowledge the truth again we can't get out of the snare of the devil yes we're children of god yes we're going to heaven but at the same time we can be in the trap of the devil and that messes up what we've been called to walk in the gifting. What it messes up a marriage. It messes up everything. It messes up literally everything. If we get trapped in the snare of the devil. And the Bible teaches that uh, true repentance only takes place. And I'm not here to teach on this. But true repentance only takes place as we acknowledge the truth. Which is Christ and Him crucified and the truths that come through our faith in his work at Calvary, such as this. I'm a new convert. I know I'm going to be a deacon. I just know it. Praise God. I'm giving an example now. And I've got the fire of God. The fire love God's word. I'm learning. And it, well, it's going to take a season because the Bible, we'll see it later, there has to be a proving, a testing time. And that will be recognized by those in leadership where you are. That's right. You're going to have to trust the Lord through that leadership where you are to recognize that. <clears throat> now, I'm talking about true ministries that are focused on the cross of Christ. All this other stuff out there, it's men uh, doing stuff among men. 
I don't, I don't even want to hear anybody talk about it's God doing this and God doing that. God ain't setting these people in, in these positions and sending them out to, to, to just mention the word gospel every once in a, time, in a while. I'm, we're done with that, folks. We're, we're, we're moving on. Uh, we, we don't want to say it like we're leaving folk behind, but we're moving on. We're moving on from that which only has a form. We're moving on, withdrawing ourselves, literally, from that disorder and disarray that comes from rejecting the message of the cross. We're moving on. We're drawing our, separating ourselves. I'll be talking about that in the soon coming days because we're told many places in the New Covenant uh, to separate, to withdraw, to come out from among, to forsake certain things, and and and, and, and until we until we begin to be obedient in those areas, uh, then we're going to have problems, going to have big issues continually in the church. But when God gives you the truth of His Word, and you begin to walk in the light of truth, and led by the Holy Spirit in the path of righteousness, you're going to get sick of being in a mixture. You're going to get so sick of being in that mixture, and the reason you're feeling sick and you know it's not right is because God has already told you to come out from among them, to withdraw from them, to separate from them. You can read those things in Second Thessalonians. I mean, <clears throat> and as long as we refuse to get up and get out and get away from those who literally refuse to subject themselves to the message of the cross, as the centerpiece in all their sermons and what their ministry becomes all about, as long as they're rejecting that, then there will always be confusion. There will always be God attempting to bring that variance that Jesus said he sends to separate. There will be a separation. If you're obedient, you will remove yourself from the mixture. Amen. I'm not talking about folks who are... Uh, Babies and they're learning this message. I'm talking about folks who just not going this way. They're just not going this way. I'm, I'm not going that way. I've, I've chosen the focus to be this, that, Pentecost, healing, faith, everything but Calvary. We're not going that way. Brother Swaggart wants to do that, and all these other little old churches probably wants to do that. Fine, they can, but we're focused on this. And we're not going that way. You're called to get up, get out, separate from them. Because <clears throat> folks who are not trusting simply and exclusively in the work of Christ, there is disorder in their lives. Read Second Thessalonians. You'd be amazed at what God's been telling you to do for years, and you've been missing it. You've been missing it. Come on now. He says in verse 7, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. That means not just what goes on in the church setting, but even on your job, even among your family, even among the college, the school you go to, whatever the case may be. Those who are without, the Bible here says, we got to have a good report among them too. Oh, they might not like the Jesus you preach. They may not like the message. They might not like church. They may not like God. But they better not be able to find fault with you, occasion through you to, to justify their carnality, their sinful ways. I mean, and, and that's huge in the church. I mean, how many times, how many stories have we heard about uh, the deacons in the church or also in the bars on Saturday night? How many, how many years have we listened to that? Think about that. <clears throat> Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Good report. I'll read my notes to you just so we don't miss anything. Uh, good report. 
speaks of the testimony among even those who are without, which speaks of outside the faith, family of faith. That's right. When you go into Walmart or Brookshire's or wherever you go get your food or your clothes or when you go out in the community, you better be acting like you act in church. You ought to be the same everywhere you go. Now, I've, I've seen, everybody has seen the, 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 the plasticness of, of individuals who are different in church than they are in, in, in a restaurant. You know those people, man, I tell you what, I, <clears throat> I hate to be sitting at a table with folk in a restaurant who gripe about everything. Oh, my, my, my there ain't enough this, and that's hot, and this is cold, is that a hair, and man, look at the floor over there. Oh, this guy, I just... Just uh, they just want to gripe about something, and oh, I know they've justified it for safety, and oh, they, they, but that ain't just a restaurant. Let them move on to another something else, and that's just how they are. But when they come to church, it's just to walk through the door. Glory to God! Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah! Aren't you happy today? Just a thankful. Oh, come on! I've seen that for decades. I don't look at it. I don't pay attention to it because God ain't listen. He ain't listen. God's called us to be out there in the marketplace. What we are in the house of God. What we are among our family. What we are in the classroom. What we are with. In among each other, we are to be without and among all those others because it is Christ we serve, and hopefully, we're not just serving Him from 10 to lunch on Sunday morning. Come on, somebody! Hallelujah! God's calling His people back to faith in the cross alone so the Holy Spirit can grow us in this, mature us, and we won't put on different faces in different places. Come on now. <clears throat> then he, <clears throat> the snare of the devil is always and more so toward those <clears throat> who are called to ministry. And it's because when leaders fall into the reproach of the devil, many will follow them right into that same reproach of the devil. Think about that. The, re, the Lord, not the Lord, but the devil and his works are always trying to get to the head of every assembly. That's why you need to pray for your pastors. I ain't talking about every once in a while when you see it on Facebook. That needs to be something that's in your heart. I got to pray for my preacher today. I, think about it again later. I got to pray right now for my preacher. Because your preacher, if he's God called and God sent, he's in the word. He's in prayer. He's looking for an opportunity. And all kind of mess is coming at him. You need to understand that. You need to pray for them. Because if the devil wants to tear anybody down, it's number one, the preacher. Because when he tears the preacher down and brings the preacher, the overseer, the deacon of the church, anybody in authority, especially the head of the church, the pastor, when he's able to bring him into his snare, many are just following the preacher right into that snare. You better hear me. That's the importance of what we're reading here today. You can't just put a novice, a new convert into a position of authority. It won't work. 99.9 .9 times out of 100, it doesn't work. They do fall into the snare of the devil, the condemnation of the devil. 
He says in verse 8, likewise, and here's where he begins to talk about the deacons, must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filth, lucre, greedy of filthy lucre. The same requirements for the deacons are here mentioned uh, pretty much again as were for the pastoral heads. Can I say this to you today for those of you who are listening that the life of every Christian should, should go after these very attributes. Well, I'm not a deacon. I'm not called to be a pastor. So these things, no, they, it, it applies to you. All Christians should have these things in their lives to be seen. Every Christian should be able to be looked at and be able to see the qualities of a deacon, which means a servant, a minister. Think about that. So how many, how many commentaries and, and how many people ignore what's written uh, here where we're studying now because many people have called it the pastoral epistles. And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but the, the issue could be that most Christians read that and they think, well, I don't need to read that. I'm not pastoral. I'm not, I'm not a deacon. Probably won't ever be a deacon. But you're, these are attributes that that we should all be striving for. Come on now, somebody. Just because I'm not going to pastor a church don't mean I can go out and have two or three wives. Amen. Just because I'm not going to be a, a pastor or a deacon does not mean uh, that these things don't point for me too, that I, that, that I can exclude these things. No, absolutely not. But there are requirements for these overseeing positions in a local community, in a local church, rather. It says, likewise, must the deacons be grave, which means reverent, uh, not double-tongued, means not gossiping, telling them one thing, but telling them something else just to try to uh, keep the peace, which we're not called to do. We're called to make peace, not keep the peace, but not given to much wine, not given to alcohol. We don't, I mean, alcohol disturbs, alters the mind. We're called to be sober-minded. And uh, we're, 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 and listen, the next one is huge in the church. Not greedy, a filthy lucre. That means not to have a love for money. A greed is there. And, and the way that's proven out many times is when a pastor uh, is getting paid uh, in a local church, and I'd say mostly probably are receiving some type of uh, benefit, income, uh, blessing, whatever, whatever you want to call it, uh, for being the pastor of that church to, to his, his living, which the Bible says is biblically he, he, he can have a living uh, from those he's ministering to. But when they lose that position, oh, let me say, put it this way, when they lose that salary, then you never hear of them anymore. You, you don't hear of them anymore. They're not, they're not ministered on Facebook, social media. They're, 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 they're not, uh, when they lose that salary, that's it. You don't hear of them anymore. Now, I'm not being ugly today, but many, many, many ministers are in it for the money. 
That's why some of these preachers, and I won't even call any names out, they can't let go of what they've had and it's still not right what they in today. It's not, its focus is off, but they can't let go of it. Let me say it the proper way. They refuse to let go of it because they've put too much into it. And they're looking at it as their future safety net and well-being. Paul, because of the revelation given him, <clears throat> began to count it all dung for the sake of gaining Christ. Gaining Christ for the sake of the knowledge of Christ that excels far beyond what we ever had before. Not getting into that today, but it's a big issue in churches today. The Bible says in verse 9, and this is the qualifications this is the qualifications of pastoral positions, positions of deaconing a church, serving among the people. It, and it's not the business owners. That's not in here. It's, it's not those who have big money and because of they have a lot of money, they have say in the community. That's not in here. But in today's church... Pretty much that's mostly who the deacons are, especially in the big churches. You look at who <clears throat> is the head deacon or the deacons, and it's those who have community. It's not always this way, but those who have community businesses and their name has been around forever and they have money, and we look at that as though that gives them authority. The authority comes from God's Word. And when God brings people he's called into position and it's not according to the status religious denominational quo of the day they're looked at as well y'all I guess y'all need to go somewhere else and do something because you know these guys it's the church is full of that today my friend I, I've mentioned it before but most churches today won't accept a pastor unless he's got some Ph.D., a doctorate, a degree from an accredited school. You know what that really is saying? Unless he's worked for this position, unless he's worked and put his time in for this position, I know they wouldn't word it that way, but that's exactly what it is. Then we're not going to, oh, here comes the awful word, we're not going to hire him. Well, let me tell you folks, and we're moving on from this, but wherever there's a group of folks that can hire folk, there's a group of folks that can fire folk. And I just can't find it in the Bible. Can't find it. Verse 9 says, and see, you got folk that'll hear things like that. They won't go get in the Word. They'll just turn it off. Because that's not what they've heard all their life. I'm not here to go by what I've heard all my life or what Mama and Daddy said all their life or my best friend or the church that's I'm here to go by the Word of God. I've got a Bible. I'm going to trust the Bible. And if people don't want to sit down with the Bible, we won't be sitting down. If we can't come to an agreement that our focus is Christ and what He did at Calvary for us to be able to see and believe what the Word of God says, then we're not going to be able to sit down together. 
The focus is Christ. Not saying the focus is Christ. The focus is Christ. Verse 9 here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now we're talking about he's moved to deacons now. Well, it's the same for pastors, of course. And it should be the same for all believers that we're holding, not letting go of, the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now I'm going to read to you. You've got about eight minutes left. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Now I want you to get your Bibles, turn there, listen, your smartphone, whatever you got your Bible on, because now we're talking about the requirement to be a deacon, uh, and it should be this which we're all striving for, hopefully functioning in our lives, even today, to hold the mystery of the faith. That means this is what we're holding, this is what we're carrying with us, the mystery of the faith. Holding it. When we're squeezed, the fruit of this comes out. When we're sucker punched by the enemy, this is what comes out. The fruit of holding this mystery of the faith, which is the hidden truth for eons. It was hidden, but now it's being revealed. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're here? Aren't you glad you're hearing it today? Aren't you glad you know the truth and the truth has made you free? And you're learning now how the truth makes you free daily. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And I, brethren, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, says, When I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech. I wasn't trying to sound professional. Or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, I'm not getting into this today, but I'm going to make the comment while passing. The demonstration of the Spirit, listen, and of power is in what he preached. Not an altar call where the demonstration that went preached, now the demonstration, no, the, the, the demonstration of the Spirit and of power was in the preaching. That which was delivered. Watch. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in dem my words. You get that? My words. I'm, I'm trying to give you something. I hope the Lord gets beyond me and imparts it to you today. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but my speech and my preaching was in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Did you get that? The demonstration is not what happens at the altar call. That's a manifestation of the demonstration 
of the Spirit and of power in the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ because that's all Paul said he's going to talk about. That's all he's going to know among men. Watch this. Verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Talking about those that have been born again. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. There's that word mystery. That which has been hidden. We're speaking, listen, we're speaking the wisdom of God in that which has been hidden. The truth which has been hidden. The revelation of that which has been hidden. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Verse 8. Here comes the confirmation of it being the cross of Christ. Other than what he said before, I don't preach nothing but the cross of Christ. I don't want to know anything among you but Christ and Him crucified. And I've determined to know nothing other. He says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, which ties the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with the wisdom of God that's in the mystery. Come on now. That's what you and I are called to hold. You let go of that, you're not qualified for the position of pastor or deacon. If you let go of that and begin to preach something other than that, using all of God's Word to point to Christ and what He did at Calvary, you're no longer walking. Didn't say you're no longer called. You just need to repent. But you're no longer walking in the qualifications to be a pastor or a deacon if you stop holding the mystery of the faith in a good conscience on top of that. It ha you can't just be declaring, listen, declaring the words that you've learned what's right, now you're saying what's right, but you've got to hold this in a good conscience. This is why I'm a pastor, because of what I'm holding. This is why I'm a deacon, because what I'm holding, hallelujah, what I've been given to lay hold on, this everlasting life, this mystery, this hidden truth that God has revealed to me, saved me by, and leading me in every day. Glory to God, hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. This is what we're called to hold. Folks who don't have this, they're not holding this. I'm not going to say they're not called or sent, but I'm going to say this right out. If we're not holding dear ministering the message of the cross in all that we minister, we're not walking in the qualification of our position. Of our vocation. We're not walking worthy of our vocation if we're not holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The faith. Holding the mystery of the faith. That's the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Know this. Romans 12.3 says that we're to live according to that measure of faith we've been given. 
The measure, that word measure, means portion. If you're going to bake a pie, a, a, a cake, or, or you know, uh, make a pie, whatever you're going to do, it, you, you, have a, uh, you have a portion of sugar. You don't just take the whole thing of sugar and dump it in there. You've got yourself a, a problem. But you take a measure of that big thing of sugar. You take a, a third a cup, a half a cup, a whole cup, but it's a portion. It's a measurement. It's a portion. That's what we've been given don't be mad because you just got a portion. Don't be mad just because you got you just got a measure. You got a measure of a perfect faith. Faith can't fail because it works by the love of God that gave His Son for you. Come on now. This is the mystery we lay hold on with a pure conscience every day. My Lord, I'm about to make myself happy up in here. I hope you've been blessed today. An hour goes by so fast. I can't believe Jesus hadn't come back yet. Time's flying so so fast. And uh, I just want to say how encouraged I am to be able to bring the Word of God. And this is not uh, where I get most of my excitement from in the Word of God, but it is the Word of God. And it can stir our hearts and bring a joy and excitement to us knowing that we now see the light to, to, to be able to be qualified for these positions as overseers and deacons and, 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 and to walk in this place. And we can be encouraged through this. Whether it's we're being convicted, encouraged to, to strive for this, or we're being uh, you know, convicted and encouraged to keep walking in this. But we're all learning, I hope. And I know if you're listening to me, you're not listening to me because the way I talk, I can't talk good. And you're not listening to me because the way I look, you're not listening to me because I have a big platform. If you're watching Brother Curtis, it's because you love the truth and the focus of Christ and His fabulous, wonderful, awesome, magnificent work at Calvary. And we will always and only point you there. God loves you and we love you. We're praying for you. Let's keep praying for each other. And uh, we just, we're going to encourage you to keep tuning in every Friday. And don't just like it. Please don't just comment. Comment all you want. Like it all you want. But please share the truth of God's Word on social media so that others can hear it. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Share it with great boldness. God bless you. We love you. And until next time, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.